Hey, Melissa, is it possible for me to love gravy any more than I already do? I don't know, Mary Beth, but maybe. We're already planning for the 2022 season, and we want listener ideas. What kind of gravy would you like to hear? Is there a story that needs to be told? Or maybe a sillier closing line that we should be using. I have never been sold on pouring gravy into your ears. That is so gross. What do you want, Mary Beth? Binders full of gravy? Buckets full of gravy? A gallon of gravy? Perhaps. (laughs) Tell us... And if we use your suggestions, maybe you will like gravy even more. Visit gravypodcast.com. Got it? Gravypodcast.com. And click the survey link at the top of the page. Answer a few quick questions by September 30th, and you could win dun, 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 a valuable prize. Valuable prize? How valuable? Very, very valuable. We'll ship a gravy t-shirt to three randomly selected responders. And we might even thank you in a future show. Okay, I think I've got it. Here's the recap. Visit gravypodcast.com by September 30th, answer quick questions, and earn a chance to win. We thank you in advance for helping us make better gravy. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. Pass the gravy boat. There's plenty to go around. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 Drive down a two-lane road in the Alabama Black Belt on a Tuesday afternoon, and you might see a squat cinder block building by the side of that road with no seeming purpose. Drive that same road on a Saturday night, though, and that purpose becomes clear. Neon blinks, music pounds, Folks from the country come to places like this to gather and pass a good time, maybe drink a snootful. Emily Blavos gets the party started. Clubbing may not be the first thing that comes to mind when thinking of rural life, but Alabama's Black Belt boasts a lively nightlife with a quality all its own, rooted in a sense of deep community. Katherine Shelton, who grew up in Greene County and now lives in Sumter County, paints the picture. She was raised on a horse and cattle farm in the 1960s and 70s alongside four generations. I was the oldest child near my grandfather and happened to be a girl. So he taught me all the things I'm pretty sure he would have taught my brothers had they been the oldest. I learned to ride horses, I learned to fish, I learned to hunt. I learned to drive. The first thing I drove was a tractor. (laughs) Catherine's grandfather, Mr. Isaiah Mack, was fiercely dedicated to his community. He believed in treating people right. He believed in helping anybody he could when he could. Your blessings come from helping others. This commitment to mutual care was pervasive in Greene County when Catherine was growing up. When it was a farming community, people pitched in and helped each other and did what they needed to do. If, say, if your crops came in and your hay bale broke or whatever, whatever, the neighbors would come and help you gather whatever you had and vice versa. Everybody grew something that pretty much that the other person couldn't so they could share and they could trade out stuff. Say, for instance, my grandparents never did plant sweet potatoes, but there were other farmers who had sweet potatoes, so they would give us sweet potatoes. We may have had more corn than... The other neighbor web, so we would give them corn. And when they used to kill hogs, 
That was a community affair. This tight-knit sense of community extended from work life to social life. It existed at church, softball games, and at the bootleggers. That was a more of a socializing thing than anything else because, you know, you could go to the liquor store and buy whatever you wanted. But after hours on the evenings, after church on Sunday, shame to say, but <laughs> everybody would make their way down to the bootleg place and there'd be fried chicken and pork chops and ribs and card playing and domino playing and blues and music. Back then, every community had a bootlegger. Say, for instance, around here, probably a mile in either direction, you probably got about four or five different little communities. And whatever community you was in, that person had a bootleg in that area. A lot of the women were bootlegs, you know, more so than men. Because a lot of women got into it because either they had a house for the children and they had no way to feed them and take care of them, or the husband died, because I mean, women didn't have jobs until they you know, couldn't work, so you had to do something. So it's kind of like the community would rally around that person. Catherine says most bootleggers made corn liquor out of home-based stills. You had to know what you was doing when you were making that stuff. And there was people who were running through radiators and that stuff would be poison. And it was just so many ways that you could go wrong. You know, so it was just very few people that was trusted, you know, that you could get it from. And when I was coming in contact with growing up as a teenager, that all of the preacher songs was drinking, it had an awful smell, and I was just putting up my tongue just to taste, and it had an awful taste out there. Uh-uh. But they were drinking like it water. But um, the real moonshine has no taste, and it has no smell. And that's why you get so knocked down on because you don't feel it drinking it. Especially when you're sitting around other people and you're laughing, you're talking and or playing cards and doing something and next thing you know, man, the whole room be swimming. Besides bootleggers, Greene County was home to plenty of clubs that were small and informal. Homegrown spaces. And the clubs, oh my God. What we call a hole in the wall. And we talk about Sawdust on the floor, church pew seats, okay? <laughs> With nothing fancy about it at all. It was a juke, jukebox, and that was the music in there. And then you had, like, neighboring people who could play the guitar or harmonica. A lot of homemade blues singers, you know. And on the weekends, these spots would be packed. The majority of the... the Look, clubs we used to go to probably was, I don't know if they were the size of half of this building, but it would be so many people there. I mean, sometimes it would just be elbow to elbow. You couldn't hardly move around at the seating tables or in the dance floor, but everybody loved it. It was just fun. It was a blue moon. That may have been a fist fight. It was a blue moon, and usually they'd be too juiced to fight, so they'd Fought around the ground a couple of times and give it up. But um, it, was, it was none of this violence like it is now. And we'd be all night, I'm talking all night long. <laughs> everybody knew where all the clubs were in the area. And these everybody knew each other. So the people who run the nightclubs were going to church with us too. And everybody knew everybody's family, you know. So if you out there acting silly and whatnot, your parents knew about it before you got home. 
Yeah, it wouldn't have had nothing. Catherine spent decades away from Alabama, living in Maryland and New York, and when she returned home to care for her mother, she found the black belt changed. Instead of coming out of high school, going into the farm and continue that going on, people started going to college. So that type of community died out eventually. So now Greene County is no longer an agricultural area. You have people that own land, but especially black people, the majority of black people are just paying taxes on land. They're not doing anything to make it make money for them. Catherine took a job with the Federation of Southern Cooperatives, a nonprofit that promotes livable, self-sustaining communities, especially for African Americans. She learned about organic gardening, raised beds, and the no-till method. Now, Catherine is the garden manager at the Coleman Center for the Arts. And in the summer, she makes fruit wine. Oh, I use whatever fruit I have on hand. And see, I have uh, peach trees. I have a regular peach tree, and then I have what they call an Indian peach. And it's like a red. It's red outside, and it's red inside. And I have yellow and red plums. And, then, and I also do a corn cob. Her grandfather's devotion to helping others lives on in Catherine. She gives the wine away to friends and neighbors, along with most of what she grows. She loves to cook for people and host dinner parties, and she still loves going out. But she misses the dancing, which is harder to find these days. There's just no just free sense of just fun, you know. Going out and just having no other cares and no other worries, just having a good time, you know, just... Letting loose the steam, the frustration, the stress, just letting it all go. Because when I, when I dance, it just everything just goes away. It just, it just goes away. I get into the music, and it's like nothing else matters at that moment. Come back as Jackie Clay takes the party outside. Hi, it's Melissa. And if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question, how can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead, follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell them Gravy said hey. Hey, y'all. Every once in a while, we recommend a podcast we like, and today we want to tell you about one of our new favorites. Vanishing Postcards. Hosted by Texas native Evan Stern, Vanishing Postcards invites listeners to ride shotgun on a road trip to explore unsung dives, old ways, and frequently threatened histories. Telling stories from dance halls and barbecue joints, from honky-tonks and more, Vanishing Postcards is immersive and it's smart. It's the perfect thing for when you need a breather, but you don't have time or the luxury to hit the open road. Listen up, y'all. And tell Evan we sent you. Bocephus Gary grew up between New York and Uniontown, Alabama, 80 miles west of Montgomery. Uniontown may be familiar to folks as a site of ongoing mobilizing against environmental racism. Members of the local Black Belt Citizens Fighting for Health and Justice successfully defended themselves in court against Arrowhead Landfill. Despite its size, it has a population of 1,800. 
and its history of serious organizing, folks in Uniontown know how to have fun. We interviewed Basifus during a heat wave, so you may hear the AC unit in the background. Nightlife in Uniontown, Alabama is one of the power spots in Alabama. If you mention Uniontown, everybody would say, well, that's where they party at. It's angry. It ain't nothing, nothing spectacular about the week, but they live for the weekend. This, this city here lives for the weekend. Once home to nine clubs, Uniontown still has three. They closed during the pandemic, but even then, Uniontown still found a way to have fun. Even though the clubs and stuff are closed, you can pretty much ride up and pull up in anybody's yard and it's wide open. They barbecuing or pretty much doing something. That's Uniontown. But the biggest party, the one Uniontown is famous for, is the foot wash. Its origins trace to meetings of the Fairhope Benevolent Society, formed by a group of Black men in 1888 to help the local community. Monthly dues were used to care for the sick and pay for burial services when members passed, which still continues today. The society held an annual community picnic, and though there was no record of them performing the religious rite of foot washing, the rumor persisted. The name stuck. Today, the picnic is a massive festival held around the third Sunday in September. Festivities stretch for a week, go 24-7, and attract tens of thousands. After Thursday afternoon, you can count everything else is wide open until Sunday. So from Thursday to Sunday, it's just a wing ding. It's, it's on. On a Saturday, there might be 30,000 people out there. They from all over the world. You got like all, all of the states, they come from everywhere. Some come by bus or camper, sleeping in tents or on blankets on the ground. And they're there to stay, no matter the weather. It's a sight to see. You know, it'll storm out there sometimes during the foot wash. And a lot of people will be thinking it's, it's over. Soon as the rain stops, there'll people back out there. <laughs> I never seen nothing like it, man. You'd be like, where they came from? 30 minutes later, the wood's back strong. Matter of fact, it'd be stronger than ever. I don't understand, but it seems like the rain make more people come. Bocephus has been a vendor at the Foot Wash for 20 years, selling food and liquor. Well, the first thing you'll see is um, when you first come in the woods, you'll see people set up on both sides of the road where you can get something to eat, any type of food, any type of liquor you want to drink. The first thing everybody wants to do when they first get in the woods is get the biggest beer they can find. And, and all the women looking for those pineapples with the, with the straw come out of There's food of all kinds. Wings, fish, jambalaya, gumbo, and Bocifa's favorite. I'm looking for the, the crab legs, the deep-fried crab legs. Then the turkey legs are good also. But I have a variety of foods myself, like I do burgers, Polish sausage, wings. Everybody's crazy about my burgers and Philly cheesesteaks. You know, I have a Philly cheesesteak off the Ricker scale. Vendors also sell goods. Everything from arts and crafts to purses, clothes, and CDs. People everywhere selling everything. And then as you get down farther, it branches off into sections. Some of these sections contain the wild elements the foot wash is known for. Because despite the biblical connotation, the foot wash is famous for its raucous, hedonistic atmosphere. Pretty much everything goes. And anything that you really want to do, you can't do it out there. And you get in where you fit in. That's what exactly it is. Though the foot wash is not for kids, Bocifa says everyone else can find their place. It's not just for people that party. You got gospel stuff going on out there, too. I've seen a few live bands out there before, but actually the number one thing is the DJ. You have them DJs get on those tractor-trailer trucks, and they just take the woods ballistic. One of the main ones out there is DJ Hoover the Groove. He's a close friend of mine, and when he comes to, when he, when he come in the woods, it's on. Most people come to party. Others come to eat or shop. They'll get off work and come out there just to get food. They'll bring the whole planet. The, the people that work in the office and stuff, they're coming. Yeah. 
just to get something to eat and walk through. Get the souvenirs and things that you get from out there, you can't get anywhere. And that's why a lot of people like to come out there. The stuff that you find, the T-shirts and the, the purses and the, everything that you find at the footwear, you can't hardly find it in malls and places like that. Bocephus himself doesn't go to the foot wash for the madness. I'm not out there for that. I'm out there to have a good time, make money, and do what I need to do for myself for the rest of the year. Because sometimes I make enough money to last the rest of the year. Local business owners also benefit. The local people love it because it brings money to the town for that week. To be sure, not all Uniontown residents love the foot wash. Some think it's too wild or dangerous or gives Uniontown an unsavory reputation. But it also brings family to town. People come home from across the country, and locals look forward to the crowded houses and late nights spent catching up with loved ones. Some people don't come home but once a year for that. You see everybody that you ain't seen in years. And a lot of people do their reunions around that time because they, people come home for that. And it's a great time for class reunions also. Footwash vendors also look forward to seeing each other. Bocephus sets up next to the same purse vendor from Atlanta every year and used to set up next to Mr. Johnson from Mobile until he passed. And he used to sell the best gumbo Man, the seafood gumbo in the world. But since he died, they don't come no more. And I kind of miss him. His wife and kids, it should be a... And I used to look forward to seeing them every year because it ain't, it ain't all about I can make more money than you because there's enough money out there for everybody. I mean, you got 30,000 people. You can't... One vendor can't feed everybody. So the more vendors, the better it actually is. The vendors look out for each other. And in recent years, Alabama Power has provided electricity and the Alabama State Troopers have increased their presence, which improves safety for everyone. It had got out of hand and once one upon a time because people were walking around with all the, with the guns on their shoulders and whatever type of drugs, just letting people know that's what they have. So when the State Troopers came in, they were trying to get it back to the tradition of what it really is. To Bocephus, what foot wash really is, is having a good time with family and friends, doing anything you want to do, and coming home safely when it ends. But... Why do they call it foot wash? Because when you leave from out there, your feet be so dirty <laughs> that you got to wash them. At least that's how the joke goes. As Catherine and Bocephus tell us, Black Belt nightlife is grounded in community and mutual care. Social gatherings also help to balance the hard work week with nights of leisure and release. So nightlife in the Black Belt is alive and kicking with a beat all its own. Gravy was reported and produced by Jackie Clay and Emily Blavos. Emily is the author of The History of Alabama in 14 Foods. Gravy was mixed and edited by Matt Whitson. Thank you, Matt. Special thanks go to Amifa Butler. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. She's really good at her job and we love her. Mary Beth Laster serves as our publisher and the same goes for her. Visit southernfoodways.org to make a donation. Your dollars fund our good work. And while you've got your phone in your hand, download our SFA Stories app, underwritten by Tabasco, and let SFA be your guide as you explore the South. There's a whole bunch of good stuff there. Get it. I'm John T. Edge. I'm Melissa Hall. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your eardrum. <laughs> <laughs>